like things change. I don't know what I've learned about social media. My time on it is like, it's very dynamic. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. All right, well, cool, man. Well, I'm super glad to glad to have you back, and we'll just uh, we'll just keep talking. Let's just keep talking where we left off. So I think we were talking about LinkedIn, social media, Twitter, Twitterverse. I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, you know what you think about this this uh, new Elon Exodus. Yeah, and, uh, I'll just give you the floor, and you can just go. Yeah, well, on the Elon stuff, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. He certainly is really interesting um and I, I think one thing's for certain is there's going to be a lot of really cool new features tested out whether it's the twitter blue verification or whether it's like i think there's going to be video embedded into the platform i've seen people hint at that like a little remake of vine or something which actually ironically catapulted a lot of the most popular creators today into existence vine uh, a lot of people forget about that but twitter bought it and then shut it down like relatively quickly and so i think that if I had to guess, I think it's going to be a good thing in the long run, but I think there's going to be some ironing out in the short term. If I had to guess, do you think they're going to extend the amount of text? I don't know. I, 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 I don't feel like they not. should. Yeah. I, I, kind of, I hope not. I think it was good to expand it from one for remember you should be 140. Yeah. It was like really short. Is it 266 now or something? Something like that, like 280 or 260. Um, but I think that now is it's a good length and, I think the threads sometimes get a little oversaturated, but I do think like the reading cadence of the threads is like, it's really easy to digest content and like a rhythmic short kind of digestible segmented way where sometimes if you're reading a blog, you open it and you see like all this text and you're like, mm, nah, I don't have time for this. Or I don't feel like reading all that. But sometimes in a thread, it's like you, the, the way it's written a lot of the time, you can kind of just scroll with your finger and just kind of read as it's scrolling. I like on Twitter, yeah, I like too. the threads. I, yeah, I, I hope they don't mess jostle that up. Don't jostle no, that I don't, up. I think they'll still be there. I think the problem is like people realize that's how you get a lot of followers. And so ultimately what happens with this stuff is like it goes from being really valuable and unique to then it becomes saturated and then like things change. I don't know. What I've learned about social media, my time on it is like it's very dynamic. It's constantly changing and what works is constantly changing. The popular platforms are constantly changing. So it's it, it's definitely challenging, but I think the ROI on like investing time in social is certainly there, but it does take a lot of time. Talk a little bit about how, kind of how we met. So I think we got connected through Miles Beth. Yep. And then I happened to, I, I think I heard you on Michael Gurley's podcast. And then, you know, I, I think I've been following you for a while. So tell everybody, just kind of talk about the two businesses and then let's let's hop in and just keep talking about um, social media and content, your journey, and give me give me some stuff that I can learn from. Yeah, for sure. So uh, quickly on my journey, I won't bore the audience with that, but um, I started a company out of college called On Demand Storage. Um, we, over time, have morphed into a commercial storage and logistics company, and we operate regionally in the northeastern United States. Through that, picked up uh, different digital skills like SEO and, and content creation. And so then I started working with uh, some vendors of that company on their SEO. And then that's kind of morphed into, we built this really great engine for landing backlinks for our clients, which helped them build web authority, which helped them rank higher for their keywords. And so we feel like we're really, really good at that backlinking piece. 
And so what we've done is we've packaged that into an offer and now we work with a number of clients on that. And through that, I just started sharing things that I've learned about entrepreneurship, which I've been doing about seven years. But I'm going to start spending a little bit more time on. So you have, so I don't think I realized you had that. I mean, so you have 85,000? On Twitter, yep. On Twitter, on Twitter. Okay, 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 okay. Yep, and then okay. I have 20,000 on LinkedIn, but I haven't I haven't put a huge effort on LinkedIn yet. And so I think that my goal would be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an effort there. I'd like to get to a similar audience size um, there over time for sure. So let's talk about Twitter real quick. So um, what made, you know, can you remember the first time you tweeted and what made you think like, hey, I'm going to start building an audience? Yeah, so I was, I was what you call a Twitter lurker for a long time. So I actually built my entire agency business, Brightline, with information and knowledge that I learned from Twitter before I ever was an active tweeter. And so I followed a series of guys who were pretty early to this stuff, but they were like, there was like this community, almost like a public community, I guess, that, that you could see that these guys were friends, but they were just sharing stuff. They built like decent sized followings, but not huge, not in the hundreds of thousands, maybe on the order of tens of thousands, sharing stuff about like these businesses they were building, getting clients, all the, all the stuff that like you kind of learn with experience where, so for example, if you go to business school, rarely are you going to take a course on sales there, right? But like, for anybody that's become an entrepreneur, like you start to realize like those are the skills that actually matter the most and things like financial underwriting or like that's all very commoditized because there's thousands of people who can do it for X industry. There are not thousands of people who care about your product enough to go and sell it or are going to sell it well enough. And without sales, like everything else just kind of doesn't really matter that much, frankly. Um, especially if you're going the bootstrap route where you really, if you're not selling, like yeah, there's no need to sell you sell something. There's no need. Yeah. You do not need a CFO if you're not selling, if you're bootstrapped, I can guarantee you that if you raise some capital, it's a different story. You have some fiduciary responsibility to other people. Um, but I think that's a key distinction um, where social media, it felt like I was, it felt like street smarts versus book smarts. And I was lucky enough to go to some, um, high level colleges. So I learned some of that other stuff too, but I did feel like on Twitter reading is where I got the confidence and the tactics and the strategies, which I could then go implement during the day. So like dirt at night, I go home, read stuff on Twitter during the day. I book calls get on calls, test the stuff I was learning. And then like, you know, when you just start comparing stuff over like month over month, quarter over quarter, you start to see you're growing and you're like, Hey, what's working? What's not? I'm getting more confident. I'm getting better. And that's really where I started to see the value. And I'm like, well, I wonder what would be the value if I got involved like proactively in the community. And now, who were some of the guys you were following? Let's see. Back in the day, um, probably have to look through a, a list, but I can remember like one guy in particular um, that helped me with my agency business a lot. There was content was a guy, Ryan Booth. He was early, really early on Twitter. Uh, a guy who's a friend of mine now, JK Molina. He was really good. And then, a couple of years ago, guys like Sahil Bloom were getting started. He's blown up to be probably one of the biggest there. And then I saw him and I had known him from we played baseball against each other when we were younger. So he encouraged me to get started as well. Oh, is, he, is, is he from Connecticut? He's from Mass. I'm from Mass. Yeah, okay, Mass. Okay. yeah so we, we, we used to actually train together. Baseball. He, he went to so Stanford. He used to train with baseball with him and then all of a sudden he's hot on, he's hot on Twitter? Yeah, we didn't talk for probably like, I don't know, maybe really like eight to ten years. And then... He lived out west. He went to Stanford. I went to UVA originally um, for baseball. And so we both played at a pretty high level. And then we started kind of just connecting randomly. And then he came back from 
out west we went out to dinner and we just kind of hit it off like old friends right kind of picked up where we left off with new passions before it was sports and then it was like business and, and stuff like that and so he was like hey this has really changed my life i really think you know you have good stuff to share you should get started and so that that was really he was the one who kind of pushed me over the edge to get get rolling with it um and yeah the rest is kind of history that was about a year ago really a little bit less it was like in it was like january first second week of january i really started sharing content of 2022 i'm, I'm smiling because uh, i'm thinking like he was on the mfm pot my first million podcast last week and he's that, make, that officially makes him famous yeah right yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. the uh the mfm is uh those guys are awesome they're uh they're really fun i, I feel like recently like sam Parr's like really getting punked on like there there was some like typical oh, really? where like all of a sudden, I mean, he, I feel like they've been, they've been hard on him. They're not respect. They're not respecting him right now. <laughs> I think maybe they're just giving him a hard time. Yeah, man. They, they, <laughs> it's, easy, not, it's, e it's easy to pick on the guys who have done so well, right? You don't feel so bad. Yeah. They're not being, <laughs> good, they're not being good to Sam. So Sam, if you hear this, man, we're in your corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah. Um, Sahil Bloom's an interesting guy because he just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's always been. If you knew him from the time he was young, he's always been been really smart. Um, I think he has the the rare combo of like street smarts and like really high IQ book smarts, and so he does a really good job of taking things that you feel and think and putting them in a way that like you can read really easily. And I think that that's a skill. That's that's the the sign of a of a highly intelligent person. It's like you know, can you take these complex things and make them something so they're accessible to everybody? And I think that is is how he got started. And I think he's stayed true to that. And I think he's changed and morphed some of the stuff he's talked about over time. But I think at the core of his content creation really is just making interesting topics accessible to everybody, um, which is, you know, why I think he's been been so prolific at it. Um, you know, he's, he's been really good. Now, what do you feel like the future of um... – Twitter. I mean, there's a lot of people who, so some of these platforms have become saturated. So I'm curious, like, Hey, what do you think about all this saturation? It's a good question. I think, I think ultimately, and so part of the reason, if you notice my setup um, on, on the types of businesses I have, like it's very much by design and I don't talk about this much, but I have, I have business in the physical world and then I have business in the digital world. And that's because the good things about the physical world, I don't think can be replicated that well in the digital world. And I think the things that are good in the digital world can't be replicated that well in the physical world. And what I mean by that is the future of this stuff is relatively unknown. And so I do think it all comes back to like the people you know and the connections you make. So I don't know how long this stuff will last. I don't think social media is gonna get less popular. I don't know what the future is going to be like as more and more people grow followings and things like that. It's really hard to predict. But what I do know is that if you're diversified in your businesses and you know a lot of great people, then you should be able to thrive in any environment. So my plan is to kind of make the most of the time we're in now. I'm not planning for it to go away. I'm going to keep building. But I also, you know, that's why, like, I like having my physical world business. You know, if we can grow that business that's not dependent on social media at all right but it's my other businesses are dependent on social media so if something changes and i don't know maybe they 
shut down Twitter and then, you know, you're starting from scratch. But I think that's why I'm diversifying on LinkedIn. So I think once you have success in one vertical, it does make sense to diversify a little bit. It's just the world moves really quickly today. I think in the past, people talked about do one thing for like 20 years and you have a lot of success, which I do think works. But I do think depending on what you're doing today, like there are factors at play today that were not at play in the past, like even algorithmic changes, like things so out of your control. You know, like a, a Twitter algorithm change might you may go from being seen by everybody to seen by nobody. And so if your business is dependent on that, you know, that that's a that's a big issue. So I, you really just need to think about diversification with this stuff as well as growing. Um, so it's that's the challenge is like, how do you be focused enough to get growth, but not so focused that the stroke of keys on somebody's keyboard could could take down your business? Now, do you think that everybody should be on Twitter? Or on LinkedIn, like should everybody be building a social media following? I think that everyone should be consuming content for sure. Like I don't, I don't know that it's hard to say should everybody be doing it. I mean, I think put it this way, a lot more people have good information to share that people care about than they would think. I do think it takes time and a certain type of person. I mean, I can tell you it still makes me uncomfortable to post things publicly today, but I just do it because once you start to see the upside of it and the relationships and you get business from it and all these different things it makes a ton of sense and you see it and it's worth investing in. But uh, it's, I I think everyone at a minimum could learn a lot from the people sharing stuff. And that's one of the great things about today. You used to have to pay thousands of dollars to access this type of information from these types of people, like the MFM guys, right? Like they've had so much success and they just go on their show and talk about it for free. Where back in the day, you might've had to pay 5,000 bucks an hour to get one of those guys to, you know, to get that information. So it's just like, that's a great advantage. So to waste that doesn't seem like a great idea. Yeah. The, you know, the, the disadvantage to the MFM podcast, there's so, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity just in terms of the number of topics that they cover. Um, like they had a great one on there the other day, um, doing a band. Uh, made them the Sahel One one where they talked about putting a band together, a podcast band, and just going to these big cities and just charging people to get in the podcast band and do the podcast because real estate is so expensive. Um, and I was thinking, man, that's a, that's an easy, that's a great idea. Um, I mean, especially in places where real estate's really, really hot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that those guys are super creative. I, the, the thing that I've realized about social too is, is there's just so many different ways to, to make money and do business. Now the internet is just like open this entire frontier where, I mean, I know of guys on social media that are 19 years old living in India, which has a way different average economic situation than the United States. 19, 20 years old, making two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars selling courses. Which is crazy. It's just, I mean, it's like that is the that is huge to U.S. Huge. to U.S. citizens to U.S. people, and like you know, he's he does them on Excel, he does them on Notion, all this all this different stuff, and you can buy his templates. And but I think that's the that's the great thing about social and the internet in general is like it truly is a meritocracy. Like people just want what's great and what is what helps them. So if you can figure out a little narrow sliver of how to provide value to people, like the slivers are not narrow at all. And that's kind of the beauty of it is like, you think you have this really narrow thing that no one cares about. It's like, there's actually millions of people that care about that. You know, like who are some of the people that you follow today that you like? Yeah. So like, like a- yeah, great one would be, so like one of my a guys who become a good friend of mine is a guy, Dave Klein. Like he's a management expert. He worked at Bridgewater Associates, all these huge companies. And now he has his own firm where he goes in and consults uh, teams on management. He's awesome. My friend, Alex Banks, he's really big in uh, VC. 
and startup. So he keeps me up to date on all things like on that front and, and educates me on what I need to know there. Uh, my friend, Brian O'Connor, he worked at um, Deloitte and now he's like basically just giving all the secrets that expensive consultants are, are uh, using for free, which is awesome. So if you have a small business, he's a guy you should follow. Um, you know, there's, and there, there's a series of other people, but really what I try to do is pick like a domain expert and then just kind of follow those people, um, on what they're really good at. And then you can kind of build this group of mentors that you're like, Oh, if I need management advice, like I don't even have to call Dave Klein. I could just go through his whole tweets. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's, that's what it's like. It's like a living journal of, of what you think and do. And so there's, there's, there's just, there's a lot of value in it if you're willing to put yourself out there and stick with it. That's, that's awesome. I'm going to transition a little bit here. So let's talk about, um, I think you and I talked a little bit last time just about the, the businesses and the, let's talk about bootstrapping. So let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, um, what are your thoughts on capital? What are your thoughts on uh, just bootstrapping your business? Uh, I think there's a lot of attention gets drawn to uh, raising money. Um, in the last couple of weeks, it's probably less popular than it historically. Yeah, right. historically is. Uh, I was listening to um, CEO uh, Henry Shuck talk about how he had to go around when they were going public and talk about how they were making money and uh, <laughs> had to make lots of excuses for why they were profitable. And uh, um, and, you know, now it's a little more it's a, now, now it's popular to to not be losing money. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I know you get a lot on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. I think it depends on your goals, right? And I don't think there's a right or wrong way on this. Um, and that that's a little bit of the politician's answer, but I do think that that is the truth. Where if you want to if you want to take a company public, if you want to build a company like that, you're probably going to need some capital at some point. It's going to be really hard to bootstrap that because even just like as you know, bootstrap like hiring people, right? Like to to, to grow a company huge, you need lots of people. Um, Hiring people if you with only free cash flow is really tough. And then hiring people with debt is probably not a great idea because like the rate of success with employees is not, it's not high enough to, to like really term debt should be used for like equipment, right? Like where, where the ROI is like, is roughly known, uh, assuming it's used correctly. So to generate enough free cash flow that you can just go around hiring people is really difficult. So I think if your plan is to go really big, really quickly, then you're going to need capital. On the other hand, I think it depends what your goals are. Um, and for me, like with bootstrapping, my goal is not to build a company that does $5 billion in revenue. My goal is to build a company that serves me, that serves the people that work there and that helps me build a great life uh, for me and my family. And then, you know, ultimately for the people that are a part of the company and that are customers of the company. And so, you know, that might look like a, 10 or 20 million dollar company which i do think you can bootstrap and even with that i think a 1 million dollar company with the right setup can provide people a great life and that's another great thing about overseas talent and automation with internet and technology is like you can make literally you can make five or six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars off a million dollars in revenue if you're in the right business and so like in the old days to make seven hundred thousand dollars to have that free on your bottom line like you would need millions and millions of dollars in revenue to do that. Or if you were a consultant or something, you'd be flying all over the country meeting people where now you can hop on a call. So it's like, we're just living in a great time where I think you can generate a really large income for yourself um, and live a great life without having to build like this 
500 person company that comes with all these other things. And I personally, for me, like it's more attractive to live in that smaller end range of company size for like quality of life. And if you can build in my mind, a $10 million company that works for you, that has good margins and is set up the right way. I, I mean, that's a really, really nice outcome um, that allows you to pretty much do anything you want to do within reason. Uh, I haven't, I was reading, I'm not, I'm a couple chapters in a book called Unscaling, where they just talk about, you know, the, the cultural shift of companies are now in the future. They believe that, hey, companies will be smaller and yep. it'll be popular to be uh, not big, not big. You know, like historically, you had to be big if you were going to produce, you know, if you were going to produce a car, you had to get a manufacturing facility and you had to hire people. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that uh, with, the dig with digital lessons, you know, that's no longer going to be the case. And we're going to see people large companies run with just a couple of people. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I've, I've been talking about this for a while and I think the writing's on the wall because the employee count was like a badge of honor. Um, even when we were first starting, like every time I talk to someone, even now, a lot of the time they're like, Oh, how many employees do you have? And I'm like, it's just kind of a weird question to jump to as opposed to, you know what I mean? It's just like, I still think like people who are not in this digital ecosystem, just like look at, the, oh, if you have a lot of employees, that means you make a lot of money when it's like a lot of times it's the opposite. Um, and I, I don't think people on average who don't run a business understand like how difficult it is to employ people in the United States. Like the, the laws and regulation make it very difficult. It, it costs about 130% of somebody's salary to employ them. And that's not even factoring in any of the legal risk or ramifications if that person doesn't perform. Like you can't just go around firing people with no repercussions. It, that's not how it works. Um, so like it's just really hard. And I I think it's uh, the government's a little bit responsible for it. Where like I understand there needs to be employee protection, so you can't have companies running around taking advantage of people. But what they what they've done is like they've made it so easy to use overseas talent, and the and the talent gap is closing. That I really think there's going to be a really big problem. Um, especially as software development gets more ubiquitous around the world. I think that's when there's going to be a real problem. I still think America has the monopoly on like their highest end developers. Developers, yeah, no, for sure. But I, I do think though, as like no code and like you need yeah. less coding ability to make high-end apps, that's where it's just like people are not going to pay six and $700,000 times 1.3 plus legal risk to employ people that they can do that for a fraction of the cost and get a similar outcome. And that's just business and it's reality. And a lot of people just ignore that and say it's profiteering yeah. capitalism. Mm -hmm. but it's yeah. I, I mean, I think too, when you look at, a, you know, when you look at a business or a startup or, you know, a small business, there's so many, there's so many things that have to be done that are, that are unsexy and just having bodies, you know, like intern, like historically you'd hire a bunch of interns yep. and, you know, they get their foot in the door and they do a really menial task. Um, and then over time they get responsibility and then, you know, it's hard to get interns. It's hard to hire interns. It's, you know, well, interns want, you know, 22 50 an hour because, yeah. you know, Dunkin Donuts will pay 19. And it's just like, it's, it really isn't any longer about, you know, getting experience and stuff like that. Yeah. That seems like that's not as popular as it once was. And so I think, I think businesses have just responded where, with the natural way, which is like, oh, we have technology, we have location independence, we have overseas talent, we have English language pretty popular around the world and a lot of these countries have done a great job of educating their population on speaking english 
and like I think to me the the two things that have driven the adoption of overseas that I think are going to keep doing it is one English and people being able to hop on Zooms and calls like this, and two is um, the improved Wi-Fi. As Wi-Fi gets better and internet connectivity gets better, this is only going to increase because once you can speak and like when we first started our business, we worked with developers overseas and the issue is we can never hear, right? Like we can oh. never communicate with them effectively. Now I have developers overseas that I've had for four years and like I'll hop on Slack with them and I talk just like I'm talking to you now. And we communicate effectively. And that is a really big deal. Um, in terms of getting things done. I think that was a lot of the frustration before with overseas. Um, but I, I think that problem is getting solved more and more every day. It's like, man, if you could just figure out how to position the sun at a little different uh, spot in the sky, you'd really be on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Get everybody on the same time zone. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you'd really be. But I actually everybody. don't mind the time zone, though, because sometimes it's like work is getting done 24-7. No, which that's is, true. Which yeah, I think the key is to try to get in the right time zone where it's like you can catch the good part of your day and yeah. the good part of their and the good part of their day. Yeah, sure. definitely. There needs uh, to be some overlap. Yeah. Now, now, where have you? Are there any places that you specifically like? I've been mostly through. I've been mostly through India and the Philippines, and I've had good experience. I think. I think the key for me with overseas is like to, I give test projects before like we onboard people, um, and so we give them test projects. Uh, you know, we, if they do well, then, you know, we just kind of keep going. We, we, we start slow and just build them, build the relationship organically. I know other people that have great experience in Eastern Europe or other different parts of Asia or Africa. So like anything else, I mean, I think there are certain areas where you're maybe more likely to get someone who's more exposed to working with the U S but there's talented people everywhere, you know? Um, yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, we have guys all up and down central and South America. Yes, yeah, central America. And, uh, you know, Central America, I mean, you can't even tell, like, accent-wise, you know, there's there's a handful of spots. Honduras, I mean, you can't tell they don't live in New York City. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. it's it's great. It's great English. It's easy to hear. I mean, there's so many different, there's so many different places. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. I, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of challenges to, that the, not to make this political, we'll cut this out. Uh, there's a lot of the government's the government makes it tough. Um, it's yeah, it's the reality. And like, I think if you're no matter which side of the aisle you fall on is if you're running a business, like you, you need to make money to live in this country and you need to make more and more money to live in this country. And so what are you going to do? You're going to run a business to only pay your employees and not make anything as the owner taking all the risk. It just, it doesn't even, yeah, make it doesn't make, no, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I find, you know, a lot of people are really disconnected between um, you know, I think what happens is when you go to school and you're educated and you haven't actually been in a business, you haven't run a company, it's easy to draw, um, conclusions about how things are done. And, um, you know, I think the unfortunate part is, Hey, that, you know, a lot of people don't understand just like the employee account, you know, they don't understand like what makes up a, what makes up a business, um, and how businesses make money and, you know. It, it, it definitely hurts. Well, I think there, there's a common misconception about this sounds extremely basic, but this has at least been my experience is 
and it's not the responsibility of employees. So it's not to say I, I'm to be clear, I'm not blaming employees for this because it's not what they chose to do by they, they did not choose to be an entrepreneur. They, it's not what they chose to do. I think sometimes it's there's like not a full understanding of like that money has to be made for it to be available within a business. And it's a weird concept to, to think about. But if, once I think most business owners would be like, yeah, I understand that. Like that sales have to be made. Contracts have to be signed. Receivables have to be collected. Expenses have to be paid for that cash to be available to distribute. And even just in that line of things, there's like probably a hundred different things that need to happen that go in from product to catching receivables to all these different things. And then you got to pay to actually distribute the money and then you got to pay to collect the money. And so there's, there's so many little things going well, on. It's, I'm, I'm sitting here laughing. That's not just an employee thing. That's that, you know, there's CEOs that don't understand this. Yeah. I mean, that you have to make, you know, that you have to make money to distribute it. I mean, I think part of like where we're at in, you know, just the economic, uh, just today's economics is, Hey, there's a lot of people that don't, that don't understand that, that, that don't really understand how, how money's made. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where like my appreciation for sales really comes in, especially in small business is the ability to sell is the ability to survive and thrive in small business. And I think that it's just so overlooked because it's it, it's there's just negative connotations with being salesy or this or that. But if you're not willing to go out there and like put your product in front of people like you're just you're going to go out of business because like all the finance training, all the consulting and strategy, like strategy is worthless if you don't have income and you don't have money, like, yeah, you should be optimizing, right? If you make a million dollars, like you need a strategy to get to 2 million, but you just, you're not just going to get to $2 million by strategizing in your conference room, right? Like you got to be out there selling and then taking data that you've received back from doing and translate that into something useful that you can then make your time more effective. Um, but I think that, that that is the difference between people who have like built and bootstrapped is it's like, oh, money does not fall out of the sky. And like people who haven't done that because you understand like a cold start is difficult. So once you get an engine rolling, you're very sensitive to like, I don't want this to go away. So like you become very protective over your revenue streams and very protective over your P&L. And that's where bootstrap founders, I think, if you had to, if I had to pick an operator to like turn around a company, I'd pick someone who built a company from zero to 20 million. In revenue and i with all the confidence in the world go buy a company that was distressed and put them in charge and i think that that person is the best person to turn around a company because they appreciate every dollar that comes in on the yeah. yeah well and it's so, i mean it's and and you know i think somebody that's bootstrapped it's their money right so there's a, and you realize how much you can get done with so little um you know being 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 resourceful um well, Barrett, this was awesome, man. But anything specifically that you uh, were itching that I was going to ask you about? No, man. I think we covered the good stuff, you know. So it's, it was good. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. This is this is uh, this is great. I uh, I'm, again, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to make the connection and put this together. So me uh, too. Give me, 